0: working our way through the Gospel of John, certainly next week we'll, do, uh, we'll be in a, some kind of Christmas-type message. Uh, we're stopping just short of the cross right now uh, as we read through this. What an amazing, overwhelming uh, place we find ourselves in Scripture. You know, what's the most important, as we begin, what's the most important decisions that people make in life? Some people believe it's career. Is it career or is it calling? There's a difference. Sometimes those, of course, would intertwine. Is it marriage? It's a pretty important decision. But the real marriage is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the one that counts eternally because that's who we're going to be married to forever. I'm not belittling marriage. I'm happily married. Uh, The way they say it is, I'm happily married 27 of my 38 years or whatever. (laughs) But we're happily married. No, we're happily married. (laughs) We're happily married for all of our 37 years. I just wanted to see if Gail's listening. She's always so distracted with the dog. I wanted to find out if she's listening. Okay. So, um, yeah, you wonder how I managed to stay married, don't you? <laughs> it's all grace. Thank you, honey. Uh, so, um, what's the most important decision? Career or calling? Marriage or marriage supper of the Lamb? Uh, And, you know, realtors would tell you location, location. Where do you live? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to be? Because where you live is so important. Are you going to live in the right place? Did you pick the right place to live? I, I would say the location, yeah, eternal location, destiny, you know, is more important. Ask Pilate. Ask Pilate. His decision and our decision, what do we do with Jesus, is the question. You know, it's been said, I didn't coin the phrase, people are a lot like tea. You can't really get their true flavor till you dip them in hot water. And this guy has been dipped in the hottest of water, and the situation does not form him. The situation reveals him. Here's a man that needed courage for his own benefit. Obviously, God was going to work and cause these things to happen. And we know that but it doesn't erase the opportunity that he had. Because, you know, God could have gotten everything done without Pilate. Do you think so? Do you know God could get what he wants done without any human? He uses what's there, but he'd use someone else. He'd make it happen another way. So we're not dismissing God's will or his purpose ultimately of what he accomplished and how it was meant to be. We understand, though, that Pilate as a human needed courage to do the right thing. Do you need any less? In the world you live in, in any world at any time, do you need less than Pilate? Do you need courage to do the right thing? Not because you're saved by making sure you check off a list of things you did right, but don't you need courage to make the decisions that matter in life to God? Do you need courage? And God would give us courage. May he teach us. Lord, would you teach us as we read through the courage that Jesus gives to us through his suffering. May we see and know you as we've never seen and known you before. In his holy name we pray. Amen. So the people cry out in chapter 18 as we finished last week. He presents the opportunity for them to choose Jesus or Barabbas as the one that they would say release him as the Passover freedom offering. And, and he's really, that's a picture of uh, uh, Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, and the two goats, the scapegoat and the Lord's goat. And we covered that last week. That's what we see happening, prophecies being fulfilled. And the people cry out, Barabbas. So now we read in chapter 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, beat him with a flagellum. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him for about this third time, he says. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. The flagellum, which many of you know by now, was a, also called sometimes a cat o tails You know, it has straps that are out of leather hooked onto some form of either wood or metal um, handle. And they're embedded in them are pieces of sharp shards of bone, of broken glass, of metal balls, designed to first welt your skin quickly and then rip your skin off with each whipping and they would use this so often. It's, you, know, you just read this verse. You know, seven words. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. But what all this means? You know, th- th- this was this was um, something that they did with prisoners to try to gain a confession out of them. They would beat them till they confessed. You know, even if you were innocent. To stop the beating, he would often confess. And if you were guilty, you'd confess pretty quick because you know it's coming. But Jesus had nothing to confess. And so they would beat him mercilessly for a while. I find no fault in him. Now, technically, Pilate didn't beat Jesus or even really mock him the way the people out there were, technically. But then again... It says Pilate is the one who scourged him because truly this guy who knows there's no fault in Jesus, who declares it three to four times, has now taken in his authority that has been delegated to him, has taken all the fault of the people screaming and the leaders screaming, has taken all the fault of the nation, has taken all the fault of his own cowardice, and laid it on Jesus. Now, I understand God's doing that on the eternal level, on the redemptive level. Pilate's doing it on the human, sinful, cowardly level. You with me? And he's not alone. He's not alone because the song that we sing, it was my sin that held him there. My sin placed Jesus on the cross for our he was wounded isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgressions and the chastisement of our peace the beating he took to give peace was upon him it's all the promise of the messiah behold the man behold the man well there he is after he's been severely beaten through all these different trials Who who hit you? He's got crown of thorns pushed into his head. There's now this heavy purple robe, mockingly using it to cover his bleeding back, but to stick his back to it. You know how that goes, and it'll be taken off of him too. And there's more, more than I could describe. You know, he was marred more than any man. There's a verse in Isaiah, but it doesn't mean that he was physically marred more than any man, because others have had this kind of treatment, and perhaps even worse. But he was marred more than any man because he would also bear the weight of every sin on his spirit, on his soul. How do you even understand that? How do you describe that? I can't. And he was crucified in weakness. Here he is standing there in total weakness, what looks like complete defeat and total mockery. But Paul enlightens our eyes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, for you know the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. Paul truly beheld Jesus. He came to a point where he saw the true Jesus and would say what we read on the cover here in his own journey in his own suffering in his own weakness and struggle that he prayed three times for the Lord to deliver him the Lord said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me um, I'm not worried about me, but it feels warm in here. So is there a way Bill, either open the back door or a little window at the back or something to get it without air conditioning without air conditioning to get it a little cooler in here? okay? I can take it all, but I know you'll faint, okay so so it, it, the weakness of God is stronger than men in my weakness, His strength is made perfect, it's completed. Paul beheld the Lord. And we all behold Jesus again. We, 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 we behold him and we're changed to be like him by his spirit as we look upon him. For it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 towards the end, we with open ha- face behold the Lord. And as we behold him, we're changed into his image. We're created in God's image. We're fallen. And then we're renewed in his image. Renewed in his image. In the inner person. You know, after all, to be changed to be like him is really simply the spirit of God living his life in you, through you, and out of you. Because my human nature and flesh hasn't changed a bit. But my new nature is the nature of God empowering me. I lean towards the new. And listen, there's only one Holy Spirit, am I right? You know, you don't go, I'd like some of Holy Spirit number seven and a dash of number six. There's one spirit, God, that comes to us and lives in us. It's the same spirit. The same spirit that lives in you, Mia, the same Lord lives in me. It's either him that's in you doing the work and in me, or it's just, it's nothing. It's not. It's us trying. And though we're different personally and our histories are different, the Lord that's working in us and revealing his glory, his glory is the same in you or me. It's his glory. That part's the same. So in Hebrews 2, it says, we're looking at a world, and this is long before we got here and had the problems of 2015 in the good old USA. you always got to broaden your view of history and of life, so you're not completely overwhelmed by the world you live in. I understand that you live in a certain world, not only America in 2015, but in your world. I know I live in my world, and and, uh, we have things going on. But it's always good to take a step back and look at the big picture because that helps you live in your world. Did you ever take driver's ed? You know, they tell you, now what, you're going to get focused on that white line and you're just going to, if you focus on the white line going past you, you're going to go right towards it into the on lane of oncoming traffic. So what was kind of hard to focus is going to get a lot worse if you crash head on into what's coming the other way. You have to look away from that. You have to look up. You have to look around. You have to get the big picture. And the big picture here is in Hebrews chapter 2. We know that Jesus rules and reigns, but we do not yet see all things put under his feet. Which, when you're a non-believer, you go, well, if God's so real, if Jesus is so great, what is all this chaos going on? You guys are nuts. But from the beginning we've been told, all the way through we've been told, no, you're missing it. There's a day coming when all things will be rectified, set in order, redeemed, finished, completed. But we don't see that yet. What we see is Jesus, made a little lower than the angels, on purposely coming. It's already a Christmas message. <laughs> it's always a Christmas message, really. <laughs> coming and 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 humbling himself, made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, then crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every person. This is what Merry Christmas, your gift, is. You see, this is a great concept, a great understanding, a great reality to behold Jesus in. Now Solomon, in the Old Testament, cynically said, in his book, "Ecclesiastes," he says, "The eye is never satisfied seeing. You know, that's really just kind of a simple truth, isn't it? It's a basic. Tr- I mean, like, do you want to go see uh, the sunset and there's going to be a full moon and there's going to be 14 falling stars tonight, and it's all clear for us. No, I saw a falling star when I was seven. I'm satisfied. D- you know, I, I don't want to see any more nature. I don't want to see any more sunsets or sunrises. Uh, you know, Depend on what your interest is. Man, this guy has tricked out his car so cool. Do you want to go see it? No, I saw a tricked out 67 Malibu. I'm, I'm good. No, you're not, you know, your eye is never satisfied seeing. You know, In fact, as soon as you buy that next shiny object, and if it's one that you drive off of a lot, and two weeks later you'll see a shinier object that catches your eye. You know, this is just how it works in the human. Eyes never satisfied seeing, and he goes on with some other things about hearing, etc., and he goes, there's no new thing under the sun. And on one level, he's speaking truth, but it's not total truth. He's in cynicism right now. It's it's following his story. John's leading us in this on uh, Tuesday mornings, guys, at 6.30 at Panera. And um, a little plug, free of charge. And... uh, (laughs) and and so uh, the eyes never satisfied seeing and that's and, and there's nothing new under the sun but god says god says in isaiah uh, written after solomon behold i do a new thing no new thing under the sun <coughs> cynicism god says i do a new thing now shall it spring forth shall you not know of it i will make even a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert isaiah 43 See, to behold Jesus is to see a new and renewed thing all the time, to see the good, life over death, joy over sorrow. There is sorrow. We don't pretend there's no sorrow. We don't say, praise the Lord, just to have a saying to say, no matter what goes on, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise no, We weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we all know our own sorrow and the sorrow of a soul, and we're not hiding from it or not facing it. What we're saying is, in agreement with Jesus, he has the victory over every drop, every tear. And, and so to behold Jesus is to see life over death, joy over sorrow. But we do sometimes see what is very heartbreaking, don't we? And that's what we see coming up here. Therefore, verse 6 through 16, and then that's all we'll read. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, this is the leadership, according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He's already scared, but now he's really scared. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He's still trying, but he can't do it. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabatha. Now it was at the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Wow. They're blind, and they're unmoved by Jesus' suffering. And Pilate is beginning to see, but he's trapped by his fear. He made himself the Son of God. You know, people say, Jesus didn't really claim this and didn't really claim that. And if you read Matthew and Mark, when they question him around this time, when the religious leaders question him, he states clearly, I am. Are you the son of God? I am. And hereafter, you'll see the clouds opened up. He, in John chapter 8, just like right here, it's, there's just no question of what they're asking him. There's no question of what he's answering them. There's no question of how they interpret him when he speaks to them. The people in the moment know exactly what Jesus means better than his disciples. Before Abraham was, I am, in John chapter 8. And they didn't say, well, we have theological disagreement with that. They said, kill him! He's claiming to be God! They knew exactly what Jesus meant. They're, historically, you know, people look back from modern times, you know, smoking their pipes and, you know, you know having their classes at colleges and and having their interpretations that completely take you away from the clear message of the text that has been here all along. Jesus knew who he was. The religious leaders knew who he claimed to be. And they, from the day that they began to see that, they wanted to kill him. He made himself the son of God, they say. He made himself the son of God. So they're blind and they're unmoved. And, and, and Pilate is overwhelmed. Where did you come from? And when he doesn't get an answer from Jesus, don't you know that I have power? Really? You? Yeah, you see? don't you know that I have power? Because I'm not here, I'm not trying to mock him, but he's completely trapped. He seems powerless here. Does he seem powerless to you? He tried desperately. We've seen it in the previous two, three weeks. He's been trying to get Jesus set free and get out of this situation. He's trying to wash his hands. It doesn't say about washing the hands in John, but in the other Gospels. He's trying desperately to wash his hands. But he can't. He can't. You have power? You seem powerless, Pilate. And Jesus is very clear your power is delegated to you, not by Rome by God. You would have no power over me at all if it didn't come to you from above. Did you know that all authority on earth is delegated by God? No exceptions. The problem is, is authority ever abused? (laughs) Kind of like constantly. Almost, almost everywhere you look, right? Um, People abuse a lot of things. It doesn't make the things they abuse not real. Do people abuse animals? Yeah. But do animals exist? <laughs> they exist and are abused. Do people abuse other people? Yes. Do people exist? You know, it says in the scriptures in the New Testament, the, those that abuse the world, there's an abusing of the world and everything in it that happens. We're fallen creation. It's, the Bible calls it Sin. We miss the mark. We fall short of God's glory. We're not what we were intended to be. We don't do what we were intended to do. And people take authority and abuse it and misuse it. But the thing is, of course there's abuse of authority, but everyone, everyone, everyone is going to give an account to God of what they do with their authority. And so it's the end game. When you get to the very end and you see the final outcome, that's what determines how to look at the stuff before it. And people become very cynical, and I understand it. But here's a guy, a guy in Matthew 8. Don't turn there, I'll just tell you the story quickly. And many of you know it, and you love it like I do. And so you don't mind it being repeated. (laughs) Because the centurion, a Roman soldier who oversees a group of men, at least a hundred, could be more though, he comes to Jesus, and we know that he's not this kind of guy. Jesus, I'm a Roman centurion. You, I hear you heal. I got a servant that I want to heal. You're coming right now to my house, and you're going to heal this guy. Or, if you really don't heal like everybody says, you're in big trouble. You see, if he was abusing authority, if he was into that mindset about Jesus, if he was the normal, average Roman soldier... That might be what he said. Is that what he said? He says, Jesus, my servant is at home lying very sick. Will you heal him? I'll come right now. No, Lord. You don't have to come. I'm a man under authority. And I say to this guy, go and he goes, and to that guy, come and he comes. You just say the word, and I know that my servant is healed. Jesus says, can we get a photo op here? Can we get a, can we, I need a selfie with this guy. This is history making. This is history making. Make no mistake about it. He goes, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Because this man understood. He says to Jesus, in essence, and I'm going to paraphrase his thought process, I know that my soldiers listen to me and do what I tell them for one reason. Not because I'm pretty and handsome, not because I'm such a strong leader, not because I'm such a compelling sort of guy and charismatic. But because... I'm given my orders from Rome, and I'm submitted to Rome and Caesar. And they listen to me because I'm listening to somebody ahead of me, because I'm under authority. You know, if you had a manager at your company, a mid-manager, who just always was saying, hey, go get me this, get me a coffee, hey, go get me a pen, then he gets fired. And you meet him in a, on Uncommon Grounds. You know, you walk in, he's sitting at a table, and he says to you, go get me a pen. Now, because you're all wonderful Christians, you'd say, oh, i happily get you a pen. Can I get you a coffee also? But let's say you're not a Christian, or you're a Christian like there's two in this room who aren't yet arrived. I don't know who you are, but there's two of you in here who might, who might, who might, Okay. John and Ray, if you guys step out for just a minute, we'll have this holy moment. You, <laughs> are you kidding me? Get your pen. I don't have to listen to you anymore. You're nothing. You were fired. You're not my boss. But you wouldn't do that. Just, Just John and Ray. But, but. But you understand what's happening here? Is they, his soldiers listen to, to him because they're under an authority structure. He believed in authority. He understood authority. And you know what? Did he have a chance through his life to see abuse? Did he have a chance to see horrible use of authority? A Roman centurion? Was he a participant in it at some point himself, most likely? But then he beheld Jesus. Your problem... If I can say it to you who are struggling so terribly with bad authority and abuses, I mean, there's. if you're struggling in the middle of an abusive situation that you need help with, like right now, then come and get help and let us help you set boundaries or whatever. I mean, extreme situations. I'm not talking about that. But I, I am talking about if your trouble is authority and abuse, first of all, this is nothing new. It didn't start the day you were born. It's been going on. It doesn't make it easier for you to know that, but it may help a little bit. Number two is this, this has been going on forever since Satan rebelled against God. There has always been this. And the problem isn't what you're seeing. The problem's what you're not seeing. You're not seeing the real authority. Your eyes are clouded. Your vision is blurred. Your emotions are shattered, understood. But you're not going to find an answer down here. You've got to go higher, not lower. And this guy goes to the highest possible level. He'd seen it all, but then he saw Jesus, and he says, your word holds the universe together. Did he actually say those words? Well, not in that way. Did he say that scripture? Not in that way, but he understood that reality. Do you? Do you understand that God's word holds your physical being together? He spoke the worlds into existence. He oversees all of creation. Yes, you don't see all things under his feet. There's a process going on that is not comfortable, is it? But are you missing the whole picture, the real picture, because of how bad and uncomfortable it is? Are you cynical in your life? God wants to set you free. He says to Jesus, I know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. He doesn't say those words, but he understands it, do you? Heaven and earth will pass away. God's word remains forever. Now how that plays out would be in whole 10 or 12 Bible studies, and then we still wouldn't be done, and you'd be even more confused. So, if I was teaching. So, we'll just leave that right now. So, he didn't say those verses, but he saw that reality. Do you? Do I? When we see abuse, we can become so cynical. And the Jews were cynical, but that turned on them. These leaders, who were influencing some of the crowd around them. Not all the Jews, and you'll see this soon. But they hated Rome. They hated Rome, and yet they claimed Rome and Caesar. We have no king but Caesar? Caesar? It's blasphemy. But that's what will happen when you behold the man and, don't, and you reject him and you won't really look at him. You know, Jesus said, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. And that doesn't mean if you just say the right words it's magic. It has to do with the heart expressing truly what's in your heart and as you choose to speak the words that go with the truth of the gospel As you choose to humble yourself before God and confess him, you'll be justified. Because the price has already been paid. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Listen, within 40 years, we have no king but Caesar. We plead for Caesar. We claim Caesar, not Jesus. Within 40 years in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus, who will become Emperor Caesar Titus, Comes in and levels Jerusalem, levels the temple. It burned on the, they threw, a, uh, they weren't supposed to keep it intact, but it got burned and all the gold in it melted and the soldiers' pays, and the, and the gold. So they took down every stone and scraped off all the gold. And this is just history. Everyone in history you knows this isn't a debated issue. And they leveled Jerusalem and leveled the temple. Now here's what these Jews leaders said We have a law. And by our law, he ought to die. You know what? They're right. They did have a law. And those of you who are able to, I want you to turn there. This is our only verse we're going to turn to, but this is extremely important. It's in Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 19. So if you can find Deuteronomy 19, that would be wonderful. And as you turn there, I'm simply letting you know that they had a law and it had to do with false witnesses, but I want you to see it instead of me just say it to you because um, it's pretty pretty valuable and pretty important and are you there? and uh, and by the way, I gave a wrong reference to a verse, so I'm looking it up. Um, sorry, I'll find it later. <laughs> In chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, it says in verse 16, If a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men of the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So shall you put away, ev- away f- the evil from among you, and those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity, life shall be for life. If he claims the guy deserved death, that he did blaspheme, etc., which the penalty was death, and they lied about him, what did they get? If they uh, uh, claimed that he poked out this eye of their neighbor and that his eye should be poked out for it, what did they get? Their eye poked out. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Which, by the way, wasn't just a way of getting revenge. It was a way of keeping things from getting out of hand. You weren't allowed to go. Somebody, somebody broke your foot. They hit your foot with, a, with a, a, a piece of wood and broke it. You didn't get to kill them. You, their foot got broke. I mean, if they willingly, purposely did that, you know, or if they purposely said that you did something, whatever it was, it was the exact punishment that they declared out of their mouth that should happen to you, you know? So before you would accuse somebody of something, you would decide, is this really true? (laughs) Okay, so I wanted you to turn here because the Jews hated Rome. Uh, They manipulated uh, 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 Pilate, They have a law, but the law tells them that if they bear false witness, they get the punishment. And their sin was greater than Pilate's, for they delivered Jesus. Yes, Judas too, but these are the guys who actually deliver him to Pilate. And Jesus, they have completely brought on their own heads. In another place, it says his blood be upon our heads. But remember, Jesus did not come... To condemn. Did he? He came to save. He came to forgive. When he does hang on the cross, which we'll see in a few weeks, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Who's them? It can go all the way to you and me today, and it does. But as he's saying it, there's a bunch of them out there still mocking him, laughing at him, as he hangs on the cross, crucified in weakness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus didn't come to condemn these guys who hate him. Jesus didn't come to condemn these guys who condemned him and they're human. Jesus came to save them. And there's this amazing thing that happens in Acts chapter 6. The word of God begins to spread. And first of all, they're the disciples that they choose to help the widows and the deacons, we call them, at the tables. And then it goes on from there, and it says that the word of God spread, and and I have to find the verse for you because I miswrote it down, but it's there in chapter 6. The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen, the rest of the sentence. And a great many priests were obedient to the faith priests you know the priesthood wasn't just the four or five guys Annas and Caiaphas and his sons the high priest was one realm and they had a family of priests but then there was priests throughout in the original setting before the captivity I don't really know how it laid out afterwards but before the Babylonian captivity you had 48 cities that were the priest and Levite cities and the priests would grow, you know, the, the the Levites would grow, but the priests would also grow. So there'd be so many of them. By the time we read Luke chapter 1 with Zacharias going in to burn the incense in the morning, he, they cast lots. History tells us they cast lots for a chance to go in. And you might get to go in a couple of times in your life as one of the non-high priest priests because there were so many. It was a big rotation. It doesn't mean you didn't do any work the rest of the time. You go, no, I'm I'm free for the next 18 years till my time comes up. But, you, you know, you trained in the priesthood. You worked in the cities teaching the people that you lived in. And you farmed and did all the rest. But then you, your, your goal was to get into the temple, to the main temple area, and to actually do service for as many times as you could, as you were allowed to as it went through the series of priests. There was a lot of priests. And a whole bunch of these guys who were standing with the priests that were cursing Jesus and calling for his destruction, who, if they were under their law, would be guilty and punishable by death. They became obedient to the faith. And you know what's really interesting? In Acts 6 and 7 and 8, we have the story of the church growing, even before that, and then we have Stephen standing up to speak in chapter 6, and Stephen speaks, and in chapter 7, he gives his whole testimony to the religious leaders, and he says words that are so true and right that they can't argue with them. so they kill him. And so they say, stone him. And there's a guy standing there, one of the Pharisees, either in training at this point, but he's already a Pharisee, and his name is Saul, later to be called, what, Paul. And it says that he grabs everybody's coat while they're picking up the roll. here i'll hold your coat so you can get a good shot at stephen and he becomes they're furious they're furious because stephen and his buddies who are all jewish every single disciple is jewish all of christianity begins in judaism begins in judaism it, they're all 100 percent jewish for many years this takes a while to happen it's all jews then there's Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. That's quite a few years into this whole thing. And, but the, the Jewish leaders are furious. They couldn't really stop Jesus. They can't stop the 11 disciples, apostles. And now they've got even more of these guys. And now even some of their own priests, uh, tons of them are starting to turn to Jesus. We've got to stop this. We, and they, a heavy persecution breaks out. And chapter 6 and 7 and 8 come before chapter 9. Did you know that? They always have, they always do, they always will. Chapter 6 and 7 comes before chapter 9. Always. It's chronological. Paul, who was formerly Saul, isn't saved during this time. There's priests getting saved ahead of this man. Are you with me? Are you catching this? There's people, there's Jewish believers and religious zealots and faithful who are seeing Jesus, are beholding the man and they're getting born again and their lives are turning upside down, they're being persecuted, they're giving up everything to follow Jesus. They're giving up everything to follow Jesus. They're giving up everything to follow Jesus Jesus, because they've seen him. They've seen him. Do you know what I'm saying? They've seen him. They've beheld him. He's real to them. They're not doing religion. They're not being faithful to their church or synagogue setting. They're not making sure they're a good little boy and girl, cross dotting their eyes and crossing their T's, making sure that they're on the right groove so they get all the blessings. They've seen Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? There's a true test. Have you seen Jesus? They have. By the time we get to Thessalonians, uh, Acts 17, where Paul is now a believer, the Lord takes him down in Acts chapter 9 and builds him up and sends him through his journey. The, the common saying is spoken in Thessalonica when, when, when Paul and his cohort come and, and then there's this upheaval and they say, we've got to stop these guys. These guys who turned the world upside down have come here also. Not, we invited them and they finally showed up. Have you got the money to pay them? It's <laughs> not what they're saying. <laughs> these guys have been turning our world upside down. They're destroying everything we believe in. Did they lift a sword, the Christians? Were they fighting and killing and railing on people? Were they getting political power to move in their direction? None of it. And they were turning the world upside down. And freaking people out. And you and I would not be here today in a church if it wasn't for that. Because, my friends, the gospel works. Your vision and my vision becomes, I got family members that just won't listen and they won't see. I've been watching the news and it's like... Our government and nobody sees, and people won't see, and you know, and you get, your vision gets smaller and smaller and smaller and tighter, and you get more cynical and frustrated. Am I right? Is that the tendency that happens? Friends, you're not the first person that ever lived on planet Earth. We're not the first people that faced hard times. We're in the middle of stuff that shouldn't be the way it is, and kind of it's been that way a lot, and I'm not making light of it, but I'm saying just because i'm having a hard time with the world that i live in doesn't mean the gospel doesn't work that doesn't don't equate the two that it's all about you and you're the center of the universe and whatever happens right around you is what is real or not real that makes you god and you don't make a good god you're not intending to do that i'm not suggesting anyone's intending to do that i don't intend that do you know what happens it happens to me naturally <laughs> If I just let things go and I don't look at the word of God and don't seek the Lord and take a step back and remember why I'm here. It's not career, it's calling. It's not location physically, it's eternal destiny. They're furious. But you know what? The gospel went out. Pilate tried to wash his hands but he couldn't. Don't ever let things tell you that jesus is helpless that jesus is impotent that jesus is powerless to make any changes that there's no new thing under the sun and it just keeps going the same all the time it's a lie from the pit it's a it's a deception i make all things new if any man is in christ he's a new creation or woman all things are passed away all things are become new As I read this this week, I have a new, renewed, expanded, excited hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It isn't based on what's happening around me. It's based on what the Word of God promises me and what the Holy Spirit testifies to me in my heart, in my inner person. And if it's all got to come to you and me from out here, If at all, we have to see everything under Jesus' feet, or that one thing. (laughs) And that's how you're going to get it. God has made no promise to you that he's going to do just what you want him to do so that you'll really trust him. God has promised you that if you'll really trust him anyway, you'll see him. That if you'll turn to him, you'll see him. That if you'll be as anxious for him as you are for stuff to happen, If you'll be as anxious to desire, I don't mean get all wound up and nervous, but you know what I mean, to take your energy that you're burning up about everything else. Your oil (laughs) that you're burning for everything else. And that's like taking all your energy, all your thought processes. You know, you do have a battle and you do have to fight it. And nobody else can fight it for you. We can stand with you. And we will. And the Lord will fight it for you. He's, but, but, you know, he also requires you. of Because that's how you learn to see him. That's how you learn to see him. I can't believe I'm sitting here. I can't believe I made it to this age in life. I can't believe that I made it with Jesus all these years. I can't believe I didn't just make it. <laughs> I made it. I can't believe that I'm a blessed man. And I have had my share of pain. I I can't compare it to yours, but I've had pain. I have pain right now about things that aren't just right. Welcome to planet Earth, Rick. My focus must be Jesus. Don't ever think that he's helpless, that he's impotent. In weakness, his strength is made perfect, complete. His power can rest upon you. Even, listen, musicians come on up. His power can rest upon you even when it looks like everything is lost. His power can rest upon you even when it looks like everything is lost.